0: The Old Testament writers Dillard and Longman state for sheer grandeur and majesty, probably no book in the Hebrew Bible can be compared to the, that which we find in Isaiah. But what do we know of the messenger, the man Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was son of Amos, He was married and throughout his life, he seemed to have good access to the kings of the day or their officials. During the first eight years of prophetic ministry, we meet his sons, Shir Jashab, whose name means a remnant will return. Then a few years later, um, that follow, Isaiah had a second son, Mehir Shalal Hashbaz, which means swift to plunder and quick to carry away. Now, Stop and think for a moment, who wished their parents had named them a different name to the one that you've got? Okay, there's probably a few, all right? Well, get in line behind Shahir Jashab, a remnant will return, and Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, swift to plunder and quick to carry away. Imagine the nicknames that those guys would have gotten at school. Isaiah seemed to be quite a contrary sort of a character. When others were saying that everything is going great, Sheer and Baz's dad cried doom and gloom. We're ruined, we're goners, it's all over, the fat lady has sung. But when others are running around like Chicken Little, Isaiah cries out, it's all going to turn out okay. We'll get through this. God's plans will prevail. Now, most people have either an embarrassing, um, have been embarrassed by their dad or a parent, or at some point they have a weird uncle that comes to family gatherings that is just that little bit kooky. Well, for Sheer and Baz, it was their dad. Around the time when they're in their tweens, uh, their teens and their 20s, dad starts walking around naked and barefoot. Not to appear on Judah's most embarrassing bodies or any TV show of that sort of nature, but claiming that God told him to. Not just for a day, he just didn't do a streak run or anything like that, it wasn't for that sort of purpose, but for three years as a sign that he says that this is something that God is calling me to do. Now, the family could have easily become the butt of everyone's jokes. Um, Now, today, if someone someone claims that God tells you to do something like that, to walk around barefoot and naked, we send around the men and their little white coats, don't we? Well, here's the thing. God did actually tell him. God did speak through him and God worked through him for God's glory. And because of Isaiah's committed obedience, we find him held up for future generations and he holds a place without equal in the prophetic expectations of the Messiah. And the um, and Isaiah as a book is the, the second most referenced book in the New Testament. So while some might at times find his behaviour a little bit eccentric and for his boys I can only imagine how embarrassed they must have been. Here's Dad. He's doing it again. Uh, Isaiah the messenger as a person is a passionate, committed follower of God and he desired to represent God before kings and princes through to peasants alike. A messenger with a strength of conviction and a willingness to be obedient to God and to go where God sent him and to when God sent him to go as well and to do what God told him to do and to say what God told him to say. Isaiah is God's messenger, not only for his generation, but for the hundreds of generations to follow. I invite you, if you've got a Bible with you, to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, and if you would like to have a Bible, have a chat to me afterwards. We've got Bibles that we would love to give to you if you need one. Now, Isaiah chapter 6. Now, we don't know exactly when it happened, only the year that it happened in. And whether it was on the very day of the inauguration or possibly in the days that follow, we can't be quite sure. But the expectation or the experience of the inauguration of the new King Jotham seems to be a catalyst for God to be at work, to start a new work through this messenger, Isaiah. For Isaiah the messenger, it was an ecstatic, uh, uh, unbelievable, a bigger than can be expected sort of experience that would change the course of the rest of his life. With nation, the nation's future filled with uncertainty and pressure building from surrounding nations as well, wars and rumours of wars were getting louder and louder. The hope of a nation was focused on this newly crowned King Jotham. Would he strengthen the kingdom? Would he be able to stand the test of time? Would he continue to allow the people to have their gods on the side beside Yahweh God? To have an each way bet for the future. As varied as the views of a nation, so were the expectations of this king. While the attention was on this 30 year old who was now to rule in his own right, God took the year of Jotham's inauguration as an opportunity to show Isaiah who really was king. To show Isaiah who he should really place his hopes in. Not in mere mortals, but in the immortal, in Yahweh God. Let's read Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 4. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies the whole earth is filled with his glory their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke after all the grandeur all the pomp and ceremony of king jotham's inauguration and the lavish celebrations that accompanied it all designed to firmly establish the separation that there is only one king jotham most would have been impressed with that perhaps even isaiah was moved by the grandeur of the experience that was until god revealed his magnificence isaiah experiences a vision a revelation from yahweh god who is seated on his high and lofty throne towering over the palatial temple and its grandeur The row that wrapped around the Lord of Heaven's armies reached to the edge of the throne room. Hebrew tradition understood to see Yahweh God was to die. But some, like Jacob, Moses, and 73 of the leaders of Israel survived just such an experience. Would Isaiah live to testify? Only time would tell. As Isaiah's eyes adjust to the scene, they take in more of what's before him. Seraphim. The only time in the Bible these heavenly beings are named and would draw an image of fiery creatures. All we know of their description beyond the name is that they had six wings. We don't know and we shouldn't assume that they were covered with feathers, for not all that fly have uh, with wings have feathers in revelation 4 the living beings have wings covered with eyes on this occasion in isaiah we just don't know what we do know is with two wings these fiery beings covered their face with two wings they covered their lower bodies for the word feet could have meant anything from the waist down and with two wings they flew one called out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. With the other calling out in reply, The whole earth is filled with his glory. With such intensity were the depths of the seraphim's calls and their worship of the Lord of heaven's armies of heaven, their commander, their chief, that the temple was rocked to its foundations smoke rose from the offerings most likely from the incense burners filling the temple with a cloudy veil and an aroma that made this experience overwhelming to isaiah's senses that shook him to the core staggered with the magnificence of the holiness of yahweh god the contrasting status of isaiah becomes fully realized Brutally aware of Isaiah's shortcomings, his feelings find voice in verse 5. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the Lord of Heaven's armies. I'm cut off. I'm ruined. I'm destroyed. Isaiah is not there because of how good he was or because of how he was a cut above the rest of the people. There is no distinction for Isaiah between pulpit and pew. Standing before the Lord of heaven's armies, none are righteous, none are perfect or pure. None deserve to be there. Isaiah saw himself and his people, as his kin as one with him. Filthy-lipped and filled with sin. Yet, yet despite his condition, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. I should be dead. I should be a pile of ash on the temple floor, dust to be swept up and discarded. But here I still am, steeped in sin that drips from my lips. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Out of the veil of smoke comes a seraph carrying something glowing hot. A coal kisses Isaiah's lips, purifying not only his lips, but his life, transforming transforming him from head to toes. A fiery coal is no more powerful to cleanse than the communion elements of today. But both speak of the one, the only one who imbues the insignificant with significance. Forgiveness was given, not from a coal, but from the creator who is in his mercy and forgives all those who call on his name. The account continues in verse 8. Then I heard the Lord who was turning to the other heavenly beings before him asking, who should I send as a messenger to these people, to this people? Who will go for us? Then out out from the smoke-veiled threshold came a seemingly small voice. I said, here I am, send me. Did Isaiah have a clue of what he was saying? No sooner had the words come out of his mouth, had his hands covered it, trying to capture the words that hung in the air and trying to stuff them back into his lungs, hoping that no one heard them. Me and my big mouth. I don't think so. So moved, so impacted by his vision, his experience, Isaiah would never be the same again. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will be charged with this course of action? Isaiah's life story was changed in a moment and it captured all of Israel's history as well. His motivation was the experience of God's mercy. My life should be over. After all, when you consider who I am and what I have done, where I've come from and the state of my people, before the Lord of heaven's armies, I should be dead. But you, Yahweh God, you've changed me. You've forgiven me. You've transformed me from head to toes. So because of your mercy on me, on my life, people need to know that, that you are holy, completely, undeniably holy. People need to know of your glory and people, people need to desperately know of your mercy. With Isaiah's willingness to volunteer comes Yahweh's affirmation and commission, followed by a summation of the prophet's message and its effect as we continue in verse 9. And he, Yahweh, said, Yes, go and say to the pe- these people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That, they, that way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing." The ultimate reality is that when the message of God is spoken, it will achieve its purpose. Just as the message from Moses to Pharaoh achieved its purpose, revealing and hardening Pharaoh's heart against God, so God's glory may be ultimately be revealed. We also have that here. Isaiah's message would expose God's people for who they are, And around 700 years later, Jesus, the son of God, would quote from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 13, verse 12 and 14, where Jesus says this, to to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But to those who are not listening, even what little they understand, they will have, they they sorry, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. The message of God reveals the hearts of the people. To those who want to know and understand, more will be revealed through their hunger and their thirst to discover more. But to those who already think that they have all the answers and they have life sorted out, those who deem themselves to be doing just fine will harden their hearts to this message of mercy. The message would reveal the hardness of the hearts of those people. And as a sad indictment on a generation, those whose greatest claim to fame would be to serve as a cautionary tale for future generations on how not to live, fulfilling the warnings of Leviticus chapter 18, verse 24 to 28, and Deuteronomy 28 to 29. With heartfelt concern, Isaiah questions in verse 11, Then I said, Lord, How long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Even if a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned." Imagine having, they use a term in business world today talking about KPI, key performance indicators. And the key performance indicators of a successful profit. People's hearts hardened, check. People obstinate in their ignorance, check. People not turning to God for healing. Towns emptied, country or wasteland, check, check, check. But even in this, despite the devastation, in the closing scenes of Isaiah's message, there is a hint, there is a glimmer, the smallest whispers of hope. Isaiah 6.13 continues, But as a, a ter- by- breadth or an oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. This seed would be their saviour. Not only their saviour, but the saviour of the whole world. For God so loved the world. Not just the world in its enormity, offering salvation to every man, every woman, every child across this blue-green planet covered with cloud and bathed in sun. But God's mercy would reach into the darkest places of the human heart. It would reach the world in the midst of its brokenness. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. So what of us today? When we reflect on the experiences of Isaiah, the messenger of God, how do we respond? I believe that as Christians as followers of Jesus, each one of us is called by God. Unfortunately, we sometimes mistakenly believe that those who are called by God must move from the pews, as it were, to the pulpit, or from a company to another country to serve as a cross-cultural worker. But they, they are ones, yes, sure, that are called to be God's messengers. And while that may be you, but there is, a more encompassing question that I have for you. And that is, are you doing what God has called you to do? Have you taken time to ask what God is calling you to do? Not what he might have called you to do when you left school. This is not about recapturing the past, but about being obedient to the present. Do you know what God is calling you to do? And if you do, are you either doing it or are you preparing yourself for it? Like Isaiah, when we experience God's mercy, His forgiveness, it should be life-changing, life-transforming. You may be still called to be a carpenter, a nurse, a teacher, a solicitor, a homemaker, a retiree, a grandparent. But through God's call, it transforms it from being a job or something that you do to being a vocation, a calling. And when God has called you to be a mum, a dad, a bus driver, a public servant, then shouldn't that transform the way we look at what we do and in whose name we do it? For some, God will call you to change your career. He will call each one of us at different times to step out of our comfort zone. Hopefully not to walk around buck naked for three years, barefoot, bare buttocks, but it could be something equally challenging for you and scary for you. And like Isaiah, the measure of success may not be how um, the world measures success, but that shouldn't come. As any surprise, should it? Do I know what God is calling me to do? Am I doing it? Am I preparing myself for it? And finally, am I living as a messenger of God's mercy and forgiveness to those around me? The NIV translation puts Romans 12 1 and 2 like this Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will in view of Isaiah's experience of holy God's mercy, through the cleansing cold transforming his life and the call on his life, how will you respond to God's mercy in your life today? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the image, the picture, the story of Isaiah and the call that you placed on his life that he was prepared to be bold, to step out in faith and to say, hey God, here I am. And if you need to send someone, I'll put up my hand and I'll go. I'll step into this moment, this opportunity that that we have before us. I'll be obedient. I'll be willing to follow you wherever you call me to go. Lord, may we be encouraged. May we be inspired, whether we're a grandparent or whether we're in the earlier stages of our life. Help us to be prepared to step out and to fulfill the calling that you have placed on our life. A calling that stays with us until our final breath. Amen. So how do we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions that are on the screen. And I encourage you, if you've got those response cards, that maybe now's a good time to pull those out and to respond to whether it be something else that's happened in the service or the, the questions that are on the screen now. Do I know what God is calling me to do? Then perhaps write a prayer of commitment about that, dedicating yourself to that. Am I doing it? Am I preparing myself for it? Pray for that process that you're engaged in. And am I living as a messenger of God's mercy and forgiveness. Perhaps there's an opportunity where you can commit a prayer for some situation in your life, in your family's life, where you want God to use you to be the messenger of forgiveness, the messenger of God's mercy and grace. There's going to be some music played, and I encourage you to take some time to reflect on these things before God. And then after the music's played, we'll sing again and we'll collect those response cards and our offering for today. God bless you.